You're listening to a podcast from River City Church of Jacksonville, Florida. For more audio and video podcasts, visit rccjacks.com. Um, today we're talking about intimacy. We're continuing on this theme of intimacy with God. Don't get excited. Um, intimacy with God. And I'm sharing my own little two cents, basically, my own little perspective, and um, correcting some of the heresies that were preached the last few weeks. <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding. Just kidding. Just kidding. Um, Here's the, uh, the premise of today's talk, basically. The degree to which we experience and understand God's enjoyment of us is a degree to which we will grow in our walk with him. I'll say it again. The degree to which we experience God's enjoyment of us is the degree to which we will grow in our walk with him. Some scripture verses. Let's start with Psalm 1611. We'll jump right in here. Uh, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Zephaniah 3.17, I'm sure you've heard this one. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with his love. He will exalt over you with loud singing. And the last one, Psalm 18.19. He brought me into a broad place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. So these verses indicate there is a God that we can encounter that actually enjoys us. He doesn't just love us, but he actually enjoys us. And that enjoyment is the foundation of our walk and our relationship with him. So the degree to which we experience his enjoyment of us is the degree to which we grow in our walk with him. I'm sure if we asked 100 people on the street if God loves them. Even people who are not religious would say, oh, yeah, yeah, God loves me. God, God is love. He forgives everybody. He loves everybody. He's love. You know, I love ice cream. I love football. And God's love. You know, it doesn't really mean anything. Love means everything. It means nothing. But if you said to them, do you think God enjoys you? I would, I would guess probably a very few, a very small percentage would say, yes, that's a weird question. God enjoys me? What, what do you mean by that? There's a story I want to share from... The book called The Odyssey by Homer, which I'm sure you've been reading recently for your devotionals. Um, it's, a, uh, it's an old ancient book that, you know, classic work. Basically, the story is about this guy, Odysseus. He's a character in the book, the main character. And in the book, he is traveling past this famous island. He has to go past this island to get home. And on this island are these three sort of demonic beings called the Sirens or Sirens. Depends on if you're England or UK or American, but... Sirenes or sirens, basically. And there are these three, these three beings, and basically they seduce people by their singing. So they would sing these songs um, to men on the ships passing by. And as they pass by, the men want to turn and go towards this island, and then they crash on the rocks, and they are destroyed, and the, the beings eat them. It's a really good story. Um, and the others, well, let's, just, let's go, go from there. So Odysseus basically knows about this, and he begins traveling past the island, and he begins to hear this music. But before he had approached the island, he told the entire crew, the ship, uh, the ship's, um, what do you call them, the, the, all the ship, shipmen, the, the crew, yeah, there it is, um, to put wax in their ears so that when they, when they begin to hear the music, they have wax in their ears and the music does, does not seduce them. But he wants to hear the music. So he ties them, he says, tie me to the mast of the ship. And when they begin to sing, no matter what I say, no matter what I do, do not untie me. I want to hear the music of these sirens. So the music begins, and the men can't hear it, but they see Odysseus going crazy. And so he's, he starts going insane with, with just desire and lust, and he wants so much for them to untie him and go to the island. But they pass by, and he comes back to his senses, and, and, he, and he lives. That's, that's the first story. The second story is the story of 
Jason, Jason from the Golden Fleece, which I'm sure you were reading recently for devotionals as well. Um, and he, he knows about the Sirens as well. And he says before he leaves to go to, on this trip past this island, he hires the greatest musician from Athens. And when he approaches the island, they begin to hear the music of these, these sirens or sirens. The musician begins to play his music. And the power and the beauty of that music is greater than the power of the music of these sirens. And the men hearken to the music of this musician and not to their music. And those two pictures, those two stories, I believe, are sort of paradigms that I think most of us fall into one or the other. Many, many people, many Christians, live their lives as if we're tied to the mast of the ship. We haven't heard anything better. We don't know it exists. And so we long to go after things we're not supposed to go after. And we long for things of the world. And we, we, we desire these things. And we know we shouldn't because we're Christians. We're not supposed to do that, or this or that, you could fill in the blank. So we live our lives tied to the mass of the ship, waiting for this, something to, to deliver us. The other perspective is one of freedom, the one that God encounters with his love for us, that when we experience the enjoyment of God, it overpowers the lesser pleasures. It overpowers the temptations, good or bad, in our lives, that these things that we make so central to our lives— that take control of us, God's enjoyment, God's pleasure is greater than. So I want to say this morning, there is a greater music for our lives. There is a greater love that we can experience, and it's because of grace. It's because of the cross. It's all based in that. We can't improve upon the work of Jesus Christ. We're in because of the cross. We're in because of grace. And God enjoys you because of his son dying for you in your place. And he actually enjoys you. This came to light a few years ago for me. I was basically having some time. I was praying. And for those, for those who don't know me, I'm, I'm very funny and, um, and good-looking as well. And um, I was spending some time with the Lord, and I was just thinking about something I'd said that day. I'd said some, some corny joke, or I'd made a comment that was funny. There, there are so many of them. And, um, and so I'd said something funny, and I remember just thinking, God, what do you think of— uh, my humor. I never thought, you know, what, is, what does God think of my sense of humor? I thought maybe he probably just rolls his eyes at me. He probably just tolerates it. But what do you, what do, you do you have any thought or feeling towards my, my humor, God? Cause it's such a big part of my life. And, uh, and I, just be, I, be, I had this picture, this image hit me. And I was thinking back to that moment when I said this joke. And, and I, I saw a picture of Jesus. And he was standing right next to me. And his hand was on my shoulder. And as I said the joke, he began laughing with everybody else, and he was laughing the loudest, and he was laughing and I, as if he was saying, well done, son, that was really funny, and I began laughing in my time with him, and I, was, I began crying, and I was like, this is amazing. For like 10 minutes, I was just laughing and crying as if God was with me saying, I don't just love you, I actually enjoy you, I actually like you, and that revelation to me, when that hits us, it's powerful because it changes the way we view everything. It changes the way we review rejection or failure or success, anything in life. When we have the confidence that we're enjoyed by the Father, it breaks the power of all these other things in our lives. So intimacy, that is the foundation of intimacy. We pursue God, intimacy with God, out of that foundation. If it's for something else, 
It often is very difficult. As David was talking about last week, it becomes legalistic. We try to pray. We try to fast. We try to read the Bible. And we get this sense of failure. So, or we get the sense that we can do it, and we get, we get, we get prideful. We get, well, I can pray. I have prayed this much. I've read this much of the Bible. I have this much knowledge. And we get prideful. So our intimacy with God should be based upon what he's done for us. So now when I pray or when I worship or when I read scripture, all I'm doing is positioning my heart for more of him. That's a huge distinction. I'm not trying to earn something. I'm not trying to achieve something. I'm trying to prove something. I'm not fasting. I'm not praying. I'm not doing these spiritual things, these disciplines that sound so disciplining and they're so negative that we're disciplined. But But we're doing these things to position our hearts for growth, position our hearts for his enjoyment of us. And the more we position ourselves, the more we experience of him. It's a, it, hunger begets more hunger. Now, no one can tell you, and Antley mentioned this, so did David, no one can give you some prescription that will guarantee intimacy. It's very difficult to sit, sit up here and say, if you just do this, it will result in that. I can't just say, read five chapters a day and tithe your money, and do this, do that, and that will lead to intimacy. It may or may not, because your walk with God is your walk with God, and it looks different than my walk with God. In other words, what works for you may not work for me. So some people experience God, and you think about your own life, just think about what, when, when have you experienced the Lord? And some of you experience God in nature. So when you're outside, you spend time reading, reading the Word, or you pray, you experience God through nature. Some people need to be alone with the Lord and quiet, in a quiet place, a quiet atmosphere, journaling, reading, whatever it is. Some people need to be in an atmosphere of worship, so they're reading or they're listening to music or worship music, or they're playing their guitar, whatever. That, that's really more for me. I play guitar, I, lead, uh, I pray through, leading, uh, through, through worship and song. So it looks different. I can't prescribe to you, no one can prescribe to you really, this, you know, this secret to intimacy. It takes a choice. You ask yourself, ask the Lord, when have I experienced you before, and go and do it. One of the keys, though, I want to share today, that this really is the heart of my message, is this principle. It's called the beholding-becoming principle. In other words, what we look at, what we gaze upon, what we think about, we become. Okay, it's a very, it's a very common theological principle, that what we gaze upon, what we look at, we become. It works positively and negatively. In other words, if all you think about all day is the pressures of life, the stresses you have, you think about money issues or... Uh, or lust, those kind of things can control you. We, that we think about, we gaze upon these things, they become the controlling factor in our lives. And we become those things. Those things become the idol or the God in our lives. So what we behold, we become. So um, let's look, I'm going to look at basically this verse from Exodus 34, this passage from Exodus 34. This is Moses. This is the passage Anne was talking about just a few weeks ago, this whole passage where Moses encounters God on the mountain. It says this, Moses was there with God 40 days and 40 nights without eating bread or drinking water. And he wrote on the tablets the words of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. When he came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the covenant law in his hands, he was not aware that his face was radiant he had, because he had spoken with the Lord. But whenever he had entered the Lord's presence to speak with him, he removed the veil until he came out. And when he came out and told the Israelites what had been commanded, they saw his face was radiant. Then Moses would put the veil back over his face until he went in to speak with the Lord. In other words, Moses is there with God 40 days and 40 nights looking at God. 
He doesn't even realize that he's being changed by gazing upon God. He doesn't even realize. He comes down and people are freaked out because he's got a big smile or something, looking like he's on crystal meth or something. No, he's like, he's, he's, something's wrong with Moses. He's, why is he smiling so much? Or why is he glowing so much? You know, this, this guy is just, and they're, they're freaked out, so he puts a veil on his face. And then he goes back up the mountain, takes the veil off his face. And that's, that's a picture of real intimacy. When, when you encounter the living God and his enjoyment of you, it changes you. This word radiant is used only nine times in the whole Bible. And every time it's used either of God himself or what happens when you encounter God. So in 2 Corinthians 3.16, it says this. This is, the, this is the new covenant now. The veil has been removed. This is amazing. This is the cross. Whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. The Lord is the Spirit. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And, and we all, who with unveiled faces, contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Psalm 34, 5. Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. So, we behold him, become like him. What does it look, what does it look like? I'll get to it in a second. Just hold, hold on. So we behold him, we, we become like him. Um, Bernard of Clairvaux, an old Christian mystic who lived a thousand years ago, actually, a thousand or eleven hundred ish, said this There are three stages of the Christian life, three phases of the Christian life. The first stage is the love of God for the sake of self. So, in other words, everyone starts here. We love him because we need him. We love him because he forgives us, he heals us, he delivers us, and we, we turn to him because of what he does. That's where everyone starts. And he said, most Christians maybe never leave that place. They, they always are thinking about, what God, what I, God, I need this. I really need you. Forgive me. Heal me. Deliver me. And God wants that, of course. God always wants us to come to him with the anxieties of our lives, the burdens of our lives. But he said, there's another phase. There's another stage of life. It's, it moves from the love of God for the sake of self to the love of God for the sake of God. In other words, we look at him and we love him because of who he is. Just because he's glorious, because he's beautiful. Not like this morning we were singing about it. I mean, this is, this, is the, this is my talk, really. This is the beauty of God is beautiful. Apart from what he's done for us, he's glorious. And we get to a place where we gaze upon him, we gaze upon his beauty. Again, it sounds mystical, ethereal, I'll get to the point of that in a second. But we, as we look at him, we become more like him. We're not looking at him for what we can get. We're not, we're not looking at him for what he does for us. He's just beautiful. He's just amazing. He's glorious. The risen Son of God is glorious. We will, as Anthony said, and stole my talk a second ago, 10,000 years from now, we will still be amazed at the beauty of Jesus Christ. I assure you, 10,000 years, we'll be still looking at him saying, I never saw that about him. I never even knew that. He's amazing. He's glorious. He's merciful. He's just. He's wrathful. He's jealous. He's kind. He's tender. We will never cease to be amazed at his beauty. It's like we have this little handful of sand. We think this is all there is. We, we know this little bit about God, and we say, oh, he's, he's just, and he's, he's the Lamb of God. And we have all these little, pers- you know, perspectives of God, and God's like, drop the sand, look at this whole seashore. That's me. You will never cease to be amazed about, about God. And when we look at him, it brings joy to our hearts. If you've ever been to a museum or been someplace, you know, where there's artwork, and you look at this beautiful work of art, a sculpture or a picture, you, have, you didn't make it, you didn't create it, you didn't, you didn't do anything for it, but as you look at it, it elicits something, awe or admiration or even joy. This thing that you didn't make is beautiful. And you look, at it just, you look at it just because it's admirable, just because it's beautiful. And it begins to change something inside of us. 
It's the same way with intimacy. Now, God isn't a, a work of art. He's the artist. And he's the artwork. He's everything. And he's greater than any pleasure we could experience. And as we look at him, as we gaze upon him, we become like him. So that's the second stage of, of the Christian life. And he says the third stage is this. It's the love of, of self for the sake of God. It's getting to a place where this is very, you know, he says this happens fully in heaven, obviously. But we actually can see ourselves as God sees us. That there isn't shame and condemnation and fear and guilt that guides our lives. We actually are, are the beloved of God. We actually are the son or daughter of God. And we see ourselves as he sees us. We love ourselves, not out of this narcissistic thing, but literally because he loves us. And we actually can walk in freedom. He's purchased that for us on the cross. And that's, that's it. So, um, hold on just one second here. Yeah. When we look at God, I, I want to define that. Um, because, again, it sounds mystical, ethereal. What do I mean by loving God? So for me, this is what it looks, at, looks like. I open the Word or open up Scripture, and I will read passages that talk about God, His character, His nature. I'll read um, John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. I meditate on that. I'll write it down or rewrite it. Again, this may or may not work for you. This is what works for me. I read that, and I'll pray that back to God. I'll pray, God, what does it mean? You were the, you were, you were the Word you, you were eternal with God. What does that look like, God? Reveal that beauty to me. I'll read about his, his nature. I'll read it. If you can put Psalm 24 up there, verse 7. One thing I ask of the Lord, this is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord, to seek him in his temple. This is a great prayer. This is a, this is a prayer that all of us can pray. This is David writing the Psalms, and he's sitting there in the temple, or the tabernacle that he'd created, he hired 4,000 musicians and singers full-time to, to continually worship and praise God day and night. 4,000 of them had their shifts, and they came in and out. And David would sit there and journal. And that's the Psalms, the book of Psalms, most of it. And so he says, one thing I ask of God, this is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So I read that and I say, God, I want to see your beauty. God, I want to see more of you. I want to understand your nature, your character. I'm not asking for something. I'm just seeking him because he's worthy to be sought, because he's beautiful. And when we do that, he always shows up. He will show up. In my life, about seven years ago, I was at the lowest point probably in my, in my whole life. I was, I was in a place of real compromise and rebellion, and I was living in a very, very unhealthy relationship. And I lost my ministry at church. I was removed from ministry. And I was in this place of rebellion, but I wanted out but I couldn't seem to get out. I couldn't seem to walk it out. So I just decided I, I can't pray. I felt nothing when I prayed. I felt nothing when I worshiped. So I decided I'm just going to go and position myself before God. I'm going to go where God's presence is, and I'm going to position my, myself before God. So I went to our, we had this prayer room at my church, and we prayed, they prayed twice a day for two hours each time. This little small 10 by 10, 10 by 20, whatever it was, prayer room with a dozen people. Nothing, nothing fantastic. It was a smaller room. They had a piano and a guitar. And I would just go, and I would sit there, and I would feel nothing. Day after day, I went three, four, five times a week. I felt nothing. Day after day, week after week, month after month. I was living in two worlds. And I felt nothing. My heart was cold. But I continued to position myself before the Lord. And I remember distinctly this one 
prayer time, some, some guys came and prayed for me. They probably were wondering why I'm still, still coming, never singing, never praying. I felt sick most of the time. I had these weird headaches. And I mean, it was because there was a battle going on in my soul. And these guys came and prayed for me. And I saw this picture. And this picture will never leave me. It was a picture of myself in this block of ice. And I was in this huge block of ice, completely frozen, immovable, immobile. And through the ice, I saw this sort of, this shadow, this figure came towards it. And he had this hammer or this pick in his hand, ice pick. And he began to hit the ice. And he hit it again. I saw this crack, this little tiny chink and crack. And he was hitting it. I realized this is the Lord. Jesus is hitting this ice piece by piece, crack by crack, chink by chink. And he's going to get to me eventually. And so I continued to position my heart before him. And slowly the ice came off piece by piece. And my arms got free. Then my legs got free. And I saw this picture unfolding in my mind. And God set me free. He set me free by putting myself before the fire of his love day after day, week after week, over a year it took to get free. But he did. And I assure you this morning, folks, if your heart is cold, if your spirit is dull, if you feel like you're there in a place where there's nothing that is working, if you put yourself before the fire of his love, if you just gaze upon him, don't look downward at all the problems, all the failures, all the compromise. Look upward at him. The fire of his love will eventually get to you. The ice will melt and the, and the brokenness will be healed. He takes care of all the lesser things when we look at him. He really does. All the things we want, we want deliverance and healing and all the stuff that, that are good things that he wants to do. As we look at him, it'll, it'll happen. I assure you, Let's stand. I'm going to pray this prayer again, this one thing prayer. I feel like the Lord just wants us to position our hearts for him. So just let's close our eyes and hold our hands. And God, we just come to you, Lord, knowing, Lord, that you enjoy us and that you love us and that, God, we know you have more in store for us, Lord. We want to be people of one thing, God. So this morning, I ask you in the name of Jesus that you would make us people of one thing, that we would seek your face, God. That one thing that we ask, this is what we seek, that we would dwell in your house all the days of our lives and to gaze upon your beauty. Father, I pray you'd reveal the beauty of Jesus to our hearts right now, God. The glorious, eternal, risen Lamb of God. The just one, the jealous one, you're jealous for our hearts, God. And I pray, Lord, today that you would move in power in in our lives, God, for those who are cold, for those who are dull, for those who are feeling compromised in their lives. I ask you in the name of Christ, Holy Spirit, touch hearts, God. We love you, God. You're glorious. We will never cease to be amazed by you, Lord. Amaze us this morning even more. In Jesus' name, amen.